and it's about midnight, and Kobe calls me. He goes, chop, chop, let's get this thing done. You'll, you'll, you'll fly into LA Wednesday, you'll Uber to the house, we'll grab some food, we'll take the helicopter to the Mamba Academy. You got as much time as you want with Gianna. But I did not tell my son, he knew Friday night Kobe and I were texting, and he knows Kobe and I have been friends for years. And I'm like, TJ, he goes, mother. I go, TJ, I'm at an event, what? He goes, you, you didn't hear the news. Kobe Bryant just died. I said, TJ, no he didn't. I talked to him last night, late. He goes, mom, his helicopter crashed and I thought you were on the helicopter. I, I'm a woman, so I am a minority. And, you know, things have changed over the last, you know, 40, 50 years for women. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to be a part of that change. But it takes a collective effort. I'm not afraid to play against men. I'm not afraid to coach in the WNBA, the NBA, the G League, the, the big three. I'm not afraid because I'm a minimalist. Two things can happen. I can win or I can lose. I can make the team or not make the team. You see Luca coming down, and Luca throws a, a no-look pass uh, to Brunson. The first thing you see is you see Brunson point at Luca. That's the smile. That's the chest bump. That's the wink. That's saying thank you for setting me up for success. And that's what we should be doing every day. We should be, you know, chest bumping and setting people up for success in everything that they do in life. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assist the Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal. And we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, ATO listeners. Joe, Randy, and I are hosting today, and never have we sat at the microphones with a two-time collegiate national champion, an Olympian, a pro athlete, the spearhead in putting women's athletics on the map, and a community advocate. We are sitting with Lady Magic, ATO listeners, the greatest figure in American women's basketball. Not only does the ATO get the honor to host our esteemed guest, but we also get to present her an award on the air. Deputy Chief Tina Schultz has joined us, and on behalf of the Dallas Police Department, the Assist the Officer Foundation, and our Community Operations Division, we present our guest, Nancy Lieberman, this award to show our sincere appreciation for her support through Nancy Lieberman Charities. Her charity exhibits a 92 to 8 ratio, which is so rare. The funds raised is a tangible example of bridging the divide in our communities. 
I'm excited for the listeners out there to engage in her story, as she has always and continuously bridged so many gaps throughout her life. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate what uh, y'all do, what police officers do, not only just in our community here in, in Dallas, but around the country. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. So you, you've, I've heard you speak, in it and you said that you've always been a minority. And um, it all began at Queens to Rucker Park. Is that true? Well, I grew up in uh, New York. I, I was born in Brooklyn, grew up in Queens, and... I'm a woman, so I am a minority. Okay. And, you know, uh, things have changed over the last, you know, 40, 50 years for women. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to be a part of that change, but it takes a collective effort. And so when I was growing up in New York, you know, I was like a poor kid with no father, and there were days we didn't have food or electricity. And, you know, sadly, we were one grandparent away from food stamps. But... Sports changed my life, and sports allowed me to, you know, have these friendships with people that didn't look like me, uh, y- younger people, older people, you know, uh, blacks, Latinos, uh, Mexicans, uh, Asians. It really didn't matter, and uh, I found so much acceptance on, on the playing field, whether it was football, baseball, or basketball. If the world were like us. We be, you know, inseparable, but there's so many people out there that are trying to separate us and segregate us, and uh, I'm not going to let that happen. Uh, I, I just won't because I have too many people that champion me. Actually, the black community championed me when I was growing up, and people were saying I was stupid and dumb and never going to make anything of myself. What's a little Jewish white girl, you know, doing in the park playing ball or being at Rucker Park in Harlem? And I was protected. And I was loved and I was cared for. And that's what I know. And that's what I share. And, you know, you know, I was for the black community before, you know, things uh, have been, you know, out of hand and people slinging allegations at, at cops and people in the community. I'm a person of the people, just like my, my hero, Muhammad Ali. He was the people's champ. And he was my friend for, you know, over 40 years. And he, he taught me uh, how to lead with love and kindness, uh, how to help other people, how to have empathy, how to have forgiveness. That's how I lead my life today. Take me back to 11 years old, red hair, with, with Donald, Ronald, and Gary. Oh, wow, those are my guys. Uh, when I went into Rucker Park for the first time, uh, I had gotten on the train. It was a two-train ride, two stops, you know, from the A train um, into Manhattan, change trains, get on the E to 155th and Malcolm X Boulevard. And I got off the train. I had T-shirts in my jacket, so I'd look bigger and menacing on the train. And I'd, like, stare at people. Like, I would do it to them before they did it to me. And hopefully they thought I was crazy. And then I ended up, you know, walking into the park, and these these black guys looked at me, and they were like, "Little girl, do you know where you are?" I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm in Harlem. I'm at Rucker Park." They said, "Are you lost?" I said, "No, are you?" <laughs> and I had that New York accent, which obviously I've had to lose because ESPN sent me to elocution school, which I wasn't happy about. But apparently now I'm articulate. Okay. Okay. So I go into the park, and we're sitting there talking. And I looked at the guy and I said, uh, is your name Rucker? He said, no. I said, good, it ain't your park and I want to play. 
And there were these three guys, you know, um, Ronald, Donald, and Gary. And they thought it was hysterical because I wasn't afraid. And they became my friends. They would ride the train home with me to Far Rockaway and walk me from the train to my house. And, you know, the neighbors looking through the curtains like, what's Nancy at 13? Who are those black kids with her? And I walked in the house, and, you know, my mother was scared. And she took me in the back room. She goes, who are they? And I said, Ma, those are my friends. And she goes, how are they your friends? I said, we won three games together. <laughs> and, and they took the train home with me. And, Mom, they're hungry. Can you make some spaghetti or something? And I didn't realize I was teaching my mother, you know, not to profile, not to be racist, not to be judgmental. Sure. Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so these guys were always coming to my house. We, we always had people of color in our house playing ball. Uh, I would go to Fort Hamilton in the Bronx. I'd go to Canarsie. i go anywhere that, you know, my brothers would take me to play. And we just developed this incredible uh, love and competitiveness. When I was trying to make the Olympic team in high school, and everybody was saying, nobody's ever made the Olympic team in high school, my guys in the park were like, they called me fire because of my hair and my attitude, apparently. Mm. <laughs> and they were like, fire, you can do this. You can make that team. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. I'm like, they're saying I can't do it because I'm, like, too young and, and I'm not good enough. They're like, you're good enough. You have to believe you're good enough. And they inspired me. And it's it's amazing what, you know, friendship can be when it's true and it's pure. And, you know, like, I see people, like, putting signs, you know, Black Lives Matter and in, in their yards and stuff, white people, and I'm like, you're you're doing that because you're guilty. Mm. What have you ever done for people? What have you ever done for the black community? You know, I mean, have you given somebody that doesn't look like you a job? And then when if you have given them a job, did you set them up for success or failure? Because sometimes, you know, I had to have people teach me. You can put me on the Olympic team, but then you have to groom me. You have to give me information. You have to train me so I can have long-term sustainability and success but if you put a 15 16 year old on the usa team and i don't know anything you're gonna cut me and get rid of me and then go get somebody else and that's how i view life so i tell my friends take the sign out of the yard you're trying to make people think optics that you care if you care just hire somebody give somebody a chance optics you see a police officer put your hand out shake their hand say thank you I'm not perfect. Police are not perfect. But by and large, you don't get into your line of work because you hate people. You get into your line of work because you want to help people. It's like doctors. It, it, it's, it's like nurses. And, you know, that's what frustrates me with people. They're so willing. The people that don't want to be judged are so willing to judge other people. Sure. And, and I, I, I'm, that's not cool with me. Well, they, they virtue signal by putting up signs, and it makes them feel better, and they, and they post the pics to get likes and shares, and, it's, and all it is is a virtue signal, and it's just empty. It, it is empty. Don't do that. I mean, it's like I told somebody, I, I hate to say my neighbor, I, you know, I, I felt horrible when George Floyd was killed. I, horrible. We all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should never, ever happen. Um, 
But I will say this, you know, all of a sudden, you know, white America saw something and now they didn't know what to do. So now they start putting signs up like, if, if you really love the African-American community, like I said before, let's talk about hiring them. Or if you work at a financial institution, why don't you give them some loans so you can buy your first piece of land and now you have some equity and you feel better about yourself. I was, I mean, you can look at my skin color, but I, I was, I was that person, you know? I mean, I understand what it's like sometimes to feel less than, or when I had holes in my shoes. You get to see me shined up as a professional athlete. I mean, I, I had an angry childhood because of what I didn't have, and I didn't know how I was going to get out of my circumstance. I love my mother. There's not a day that I've ever wanted to be my mother because my mother was that old-school principle, uh, principles of life. You find a guy, you get married, he takes care of you. I don't need a guy to take care of me. I, I, I can take care of myself, but I need the opportunity to take care of myself, which is where equality, uh, you know, uh, you know, being able uh, to uh, inclusion, uh, you know, it's, so everybody's throwing these buzzwords around like they're smart, uh, you know, a, a, you know, opportunity, uh, gender, uh, all this stuff. Well, for me, you know, being a woman in this world, inclusion and, and, you know, opportunity means, okay, invite me to the dance. And inclusion is ask me to dance. Ask me. Give me a chance. Don't just show the optics that you invited me to the party. And then do something. You know, everybody has a legacy out there. What is your legacy? What have you done for others? Which is clearly what a legacy is. And, and that's why we want to partner with you. We want to partner with communities that need us. And I'm just, honestly, I'm just doing God's work. That's how I look at it. it it's not my money. If I die tomorrow, it's not going with me. I've just been blessed beyond understanding to be able to help people. I am far from perfect. Uh, but, you know, my heart is pure and my intentions are pure. Sure. So at 17, right? That's when you became an Olympian. Yeah. And so so someone saw something in you. So what was that like? Well, it started at 15. In 1974, okay. if I take you back with chronology here, uh, there was a ad in the Long Island Press, and it, it was about two by two. It says Russia coming to U.S. to play a three-game exhibition against USA women, men hoops. And some of my friends from Farquhar High School and St. Francis de Salle, we said, let's go, let's go try out. So we all, uh, Larry Aida, what, he's no longer with us, one of my friend's dads, we all piled in his car and we went to Queens College. You know, I had been called a tomboy, you know, it, I was just maligned with any buzzword you could hit me with because I was playing sports. I walked into Queen College where, where my um, brother ended up going to school there. And it was like, oh, my God, there's so many women here. There was like 200 women. It was like America's Got Talent. <laughs> and they were all in the gym with little bibs on them with numbers. Sure. And I signed up, and now I'm 15 years old. And I'm playing against all these college kids, all Americans. 
at the apparently they had four of these around the country and they took 10 players from each location and then whoever those 10 were like two weeks later went to albuquerque new mexico to a, a pre-camp so then those 40 players battled to be one of the 10 that got to go to the usa training camp with all the legends at that time well i go through all the process I'm one of the 10. And, wow. you know, I couldn't believe it. I went home. I'm like, Mama, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I made this USA tryout. I'm going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And she goes, Nancy, like hell you are. And I go, <laughs> why, why are you holding me back? <laughs> I'm good. And she goes, Nancy, I don't have money to put food on the table. How can I send you on an airplane? So my high school assistant um, principal, Barbara Sackowitz. The can. The can. She took a can, cleaned it out, took the label off, put a uh, envelope on there that said we're endeavoring to raise three hundred dollars to send Nancy to U.S. Uh, you know Olympic tryouts, and this can went all the way around Far Rockaway in Bayswater, my little community. Strangers were putting money in there. Oh, that's amazing! So they raised enough money to send me and my high school coach Larry Morse to Albuquerque. It was unbelievable. And I'm like 15. I'd never been really on a plane. And I, so we get through the three-day pre-camp. I was one of five at the pre-camp to be selected to, to participate with like Pat Summit and Ann Myers and Lucy Hare, like yeah. future Hall of Famers. So about my second day, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm a pain in the ass. You know, I'm a New York player you can say that here right oh yeah and uh, i'm probably just wearing people out i'm five eight five nine i can hang on the rim i can dunk a tennis ball i don't know how the heck to really play the game but i can play the game because i'm so athletic like a little boy physical the physical, physical attributes are there cut across yeah. the lane boom and like what are you doing i'm like you in my way no you hit me <laughs> well, i'm sorry <laughs> And I'd do it again. So I would, because that's how I learned to play basketball in, in the streets. You were just, you know, it, it was kind of that mental and physical warfare on the court. And you don't cry. You just, if somebody knocks me down, a guy, you just get up. You introduce them to Rucker Park. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then you like pick up your little tooth and yeah. take it home to the dentist. Uh, the second day I was there, I got hit with an elbow and I broke my ribs. And so the coaches, and like the the team manager they're taking me to the airport the next day and i remember alberta cox love her she's sitting in the front with uh, this woman um who is one of the managers and she turns in the back seat she goes now nancy you go home and you work on your game because we're going to need you in 1980 and it got quiet and i went coach like you know i'm not that smart right because i'm from new york but I know that 76 comes before 80, <laughs> and I'm going to make the 76 team, so you better get used to me. I'm coming back again. And she just was, like, mortified that this little, you know, kid from New York. How dare you tell me I'm not going to – it's 74. You're telling me I'm not going to make 76, that I should wait to 80. I don't live in your world of mediocrity. Hmm. That's your situation, and you don't get to impose it on me. I got healed, and I trained so hard. I played against every boy that kicked my behind. And then I show up in 75 at the Pan Am Games. 
and at the tryouts. And I, I, I make, I'm a junior in high school, and I make the Pan Ams, and we win the gold medal. And then um, I make the Olympic team, and I, this is a true story, but we're in the hall. They finally post on the wall the list of Olympians, first Olympic Olympics ever. For women's basketball. For women's basketball. You know, and everybody's scared and nervous, and all the older players are in their room. I hope I make the... I, I run down there like I had robbed somebody. <laughs> and I run to the list, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's my name. And I went to the payphone, and I'm like, <laughs> collect call to Alberta Cox, please. She'll accept the charges. <laughs> and, it, and most people today don't know what a collect call right. is. And, a payphone. and the, yeah. the operator goes, uh, Alberta Cox? She goes, yes. She goes, will you accept a collect call from Nancy Lieberman? And I go, yes. And the <laughs> operator hung up. And I go, coach, it's Nancy Lieberman. She goes, I didn't accept the charges. I said, I did for you. Um, <laughs> I said, I just wanted to tell you, I just made the Olympic team, and you're the first call. Thank you for not believing in me. And I really appreciate you pushing me to places I didn't know I could go. Okay, I got to go now because I don't want to make the call too expensive. Bye. Wow. <laughs> that's that's I, awesome. It's a true story. I'm almost embarrassed to tell well, you guys. Yeah, she got a little fee for the chart, and then she got <laughs> some good information that she made the team. And <laughs> it was so funny, and I was so excited to call her. <laughs> and then, you know, we win the silver medal, yeah. and, you know, I just, I feel I feel blessed, honored uh, to be a part of something that historic. I mean, how many people know people who were on when the NFL first started, or Major League Baseball, or, you know, Abe Saperstein, who started the NBA. It's groundbreaking. Or Abner yeah. Doubleday with Major League Baseball. And here... It's it's amazing. It really is. And and even today at 63 I think back and I'm like, man, that was just an amazing time for me as a young person cuz it gave everybody else hope that sure. you can do this whether you're a guy or a girl or whoever you are. Everything's possible. It's inspiring. Did, did it help you get an education? It did. It did. That's a, a great question because you know, we're we're in the 50 year anniversary of Title IX. Mm -hmm. So in 1972, on June 23rd, President Nixon signed into law Title IX. It was a law for education and opportunities for women in sports as well. If that, first of all, Title IX is not an opinion, it's a law. And it changed the course of women's sports. Sure. I believe it's the second most important law in the history for women. First was voting rights and then Title IX. The people that you know, whether it's the Williams sisters, whether it's uh, Julie Foudy or Abby Wambach or uh, some of the great tennis players, uh, you know, right now, or, or Nancy or, you know, Sue Bird, if there's no Title IX, you don't know who they are. You don't know who I am. But because of equality, and this law was based on proportionality of how many male students at your university, how many female students, and then federal funding had to be divvied up according to those numbers. And for years, uh, my brothers in the football office, <laughs> sure, um, most of that money went to football, and they weren't in compliance with Title IX. I'm just, you know giving history here. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, then uh, the the office, uh, you know, the DOJ, uh, that everybody had to, there were now parameters that if you didn't divvy up the money appropriately, you know, with women's athletics, according to Title IX, if you were not in compliance, you would lose scholarships. And what happened early on is um, football, and I love football, and I'm very close with a lot of these coaches and ADs, but because football was getting the the big sum of money, it was pitting minority against minorities, men's soccer, men's wrestling, men's tennis against minority women. And we were fighting because the pie was so small. We're, well, give us some of your money, you know, and let's divvy it up. You know, I remember one year, and I'm getting off track here, but when uh, Tom Osborne at Nebraska and Tommy Frazier was the quarterback mm-hmm. and they went, for the national championship down in Miami. Uh, and, and Tina, you might remember this. They had this um, massive Husker weight room, which was just revered amongst colleges. <laughs> they got, now I could be wrong on the number of 18 wheelers that they, they had, but they had like 10 18 wheelers. They unscrewed all the Husker equipment, put it on 18 wheelers, took the carpet, all the you know, the, the, the optics, the pictures of mm-hmm. Husker, they rented a warehouse down in Miami and it was like $2 million to move your weight room from the University of Nebraska to Florida like there wasn't weights yeah. in Florida, in Miami. Think how many sports could have been funded at the University of Nebraska, but that's the mentality at that time. And, you know, nobody really told that story. I wonder if I'll get invited to speak at Nebraska. (laughs) Osborne got what he wanted back then. I remember those days. Well, the weight rooms have come up recently with the the Final Four last year. year, year, So there's a lot of things changing in our society, which is really fantastic. And I think people are being more aware of, you know, women of color have been making between 57 and 68 cents on the dollar. Women like myself, like us, uh, are still making 80 cents on the dollar for the same jobs as men, which is why I love my boss, and my boss is Ice Cube. And I coach in the big three, and this is going to be my fourth year. And when I signed in the big three, uh, one of the things that uh, Cube said to me, he goes, tell your agent that you will be the highest paid coach in the league. And I went, excuse me? He goes, whatever Dr. J or George Gervin or Michael Cooper or Rick Barry or our other coaches, you will you won't have to negotiate that. I was wow. like Isn't that crazy? It's awesome. And he's such an incredible human being. Uh, I admire him and I feel very fortunate to work for him. That's really cool. Going into that you had a foundation where you um, competed against men from as a child, right? But all the way up to where you went to a summer camp with NBA players, and you weren't wanted, were you? No. Uh, I had it. always played. A, the one thing that I will tell you from the time I was young, I I was fearless. I sure. wasn't afraid because I wasn't afraid, obviously, to get on a train and go to Harlem at twelve uh, years old. So I had always competed. I played football, baseball, basketball against guys. And it was normal for me. It wasn't normal for you. That's where all that, you know, 
condemnation and people, oh, what's wrong with your daughter? I, I, I felt very comfortable doing what I was doing. And so uh, I end up, you know, going to Old Dominion. We win sure. back-to-back national championships. Our men's team and our team, we were amazingly close to this day. We're, we're on a Zoom call once oh, a week with, cool. you know, 40 years later. And so um, I get signed. I'm the first-round pick in the first women's league in 1980 by the Dallas Diamonds. That's how I got here. And um, before... I went, um, I got a phone call. I was playing in a men's league at Xavier High School in New York on 13th Street. And Jane Pauley did a story on me for the morning show saying that, yeah, there's this you know, woman, Nancy Lehman, she's playing against NBA players in a summer league. I guess Dr. Buss, Dr. Jerry Buss, the Lakers owner, and Jerry West, you know, the logo, saw the interview. And a couple of days later, I get a phone call at my mom's house in Far Rockaway and this guy goes, my mother has, what's your name? Yeah, hang on, my daughter's over here. <laughs> and she goes, some guy by the name of Mr. Jerry West, he's on the phone. And I'm like, Jerry West is on the phone? So I get on the phone. I'm like, hi, how are you? He goes, Nancy, Jerry West. I said, yeah, my mom said. He goes, we saw that you're playing in a league. Uh, Dr. Buss and I would like you to come play for the Lakers in Summer League. I said, I would love to play. Um, I'm playing here in New York. And they're like, yeah, we know. And they said, can you come out like in two days or tomorrow? I said, yes. They say we have a new coach. He's going to be the assistant coach of the Lakers this year, but he's going to get experience coaching summer league. His name is Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll, I'm happy to play for Mr. Pat. And and they go, uh, he goes by Coach Riley. Yeah, him too. I'll be happy to play <laughs> for all of those guys. <laughs> it was yeah. so stupid. <laughs> and so apparently they had not told Pat Riley this yet. Oh. So they call him and say, Pat, you're getting a new player today. He goes, I don't want a new player. You know, I had the guys up against the wall, you know, stretching yesterday at practice and told him how serious this was. And they said, well – you will have a new player uh, this afternoon, and her name is Nancy Lieberman. He goes, I don't want Nancy Lieberman here. I told the guys that it was serious. And in his mind's eye, this is my first coaching gig. I can't be doing this. Okay, so he doesn't want me. He argues that he doesn't want me. I show up. I'm in the locker room. I mean, my head is down. These guys are naked. I'm in the locker room. I'm just trying to get through all the processes. We go out to play. First practice, legendary three-hour Pat Riley practice. (laughs) Wow. We're on the sideline, you know, and he goes, okay, I need five guys to run this offense. And I run on the court. I'm like the first one. And er the coaches are looking at me like, what the heck is she doing? I needed to get on the court. So he didn't say, I want you, you, you. He said, I need five guys. Okay, so I'm I'm a guy. You're part of the team. I run out there. So I run through the offense. When I made mistakes, I got corrected. Then I got repetition. Then I kind of got a feel for what he was looking for. And then I'd go off the court, and I'd look at the guys. i go, if you don't know how to run that, I do, but I'll be more than happy to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and they were kind of like giving me the, the side eye. And so 
and I'll share that Pat Riley told this story at NBA Coaches Symposium. I'm holding an iPad. I'm sitting with Nick Nurse, who mm-hmm. I coached with in the in the G League, and I'm holding and and they say and Pat after Pat today, uh, Phil Jackson will speak, and then Doc Rivers. So I'm filming it. I'm not even coaching in the NBA yet, but they invited me. I'm the only woman there. So I'm, and he goes. Well, matter of fact, you know, one of my first coaching gigs, uh, they gave me a player that I didn't want. And I went, <laughs> and I slid the iPad over. And he goes, you know, Nancy, you remember, don't you? And I'm, and Nick goes, what's he talking about? I go, I don't know. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> and he says, and he's now he's recanting the story that I'm sharing with you. So he says the coaches after the first practice go in the locker room. And the coaches go, who the hell does she think she is? <laughs> she acted like she was the best player. She's telling guys where to go. She hops in every drill. They beat the crap out of her. She didn't cry, and she tried to start two fist fights. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, what are we going to do with her? And, you know, one of the coaches said, oh, I think we just need to roll with it because – doesn't look like she's interested in leaving. <laughs> yeah, we can't run her off. <laughs> <laughs> and four days later, I was the starting point guard for Pat Riley. Wow. And he tells a story about I didn't look like the person he thought could run his team. Isn't that what life is about? I didn't think that this person, because they don't look like me or their gender is different, can you know work in this environment. And, you know, we've been friends all these years. And I'm like, you've made thousands of dollars off my story, (laughs) off my horror story of my first day. That is so wrong. (laughs) And he goes, no. He goes, I was in situations in my career where things were going against me. And I would be they're bigger than her. They're stronger than her. They're faster than her. And she's not afraid. He said, "You, you." So my point is, you don't know whose life you're affecting, and uh, apparently, I affected Pat Riley's life in that way. Uh, if I get, if I had to guess, you probably affected the whole, uh, that whole, uh, you know, uh, Ma- Lakers dynasty of the '80s because that was beginning. Was Magic on that summer league? Magic was coming to that team. I was there. He didn't play summer league, but yes, that was Magic. I bet that set off the Showtime Lakers. I mean, I, you probably should get a lot of credit for that. From what you're telling me, I think you should because it probably inspired. Was Kareem there? Uh, yeah, but they weren't at summer league. Okay, they weren't at summer league, and you know, but you know, think about it. I go in for a layup. I get by a guy like I'm 22 years old. I'm five ten, you know, one fifty five, and I get by a guy. And I go up, and my shot gets blocked. And I remember one of the officials going, looking at me, going, don't bring that shit in there. And I went, (laughs) and I stopped, and I went, do you actually think he blocked my shot because I'm a girl? He blocked that shot because he's good. He would have blocked anybody's shot. You're an idiot, okay? You're an idiot to say that to me. But that's how, back then, if you don't think you're racist... Sometimes you're racist. If you don't think you're sexist, sometimes you're sexist. Because that's what this guy thought. So I've experienced all that. And I'm never, like, mad or, oh, I can't believe he said that. I, I have that I'm going to show you type of mentality. I'm not afraid to play against men. I'm not afraid to coach in the WNBA, the NBA, the G League, the, the big three. I'm not afraid because I'm a minimalist. Two things can happen. I can win or I can lose. 
I can make the team or not make the team. And I don't live in a world of mind monsters. He hates me. She loves me. She hates me. Oh, my gosh, they didn't call me. I didn't get to play. I don't live in that world. I try to keep it as simple as possible in how I view things. I give my best effort. I do the right thing. I'm not out till 4 in the morning and then wonder why I didn't play well the next day. Being great is a commitment. Trying right. to be great is a commitment and discipline. I am very disciplined, and I've always been like that because I needed, I needed this more than this needed me, because of my childhood. Well, it sounded like you had instead of having a door open for you, like you kicked it open, and you worked hard and you made it happen for yourself, as opposed to sitting around feeling sorry for yourself for any situation. You went out and you went out and took it. Well, I don't, I, I've never wanted a handout. You know what they say, you know, biblically, you know, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. I want to eat for a lifetime. And I wanted people to respect me, and that meant that I had to master the things that took no talent. It doesn't take talent to show up for work. It doesn't take talent to have a, a finisher's mentality. It doesn't take talent to be a great teammate. And we say this in, in sports all the time, don't be the guy. And don't be the guy anywhere near the guy because the guy's always getting in trouble and misery loves company. Because in my world, we're going to cut you. We're going to get rid of you. I mean, if you don't do the things we need, sorry, there's a lot of talent out there. Um, there's also be the player you always wanted to play with. Be that person. Like, I've known Tina Schultz since she was in, in Iowa. I knew she was a big Cowboys fan. We've been friends for, you know, what, since 1998 or ni 1999. And there's a consistency in who we are. And here we are to, in, in 2022. Look where she's ascended to. Mm -hmm. Look where I am in my career. Because we've been disciplined in our craft. Not perfect, but disciplined in our craft of what we want to do. And I respect that. You know, I don't even know if I, I get the chance to, to tell you that, Tina. And Tina's sitting in the room. Chief, that's Chief Schultz. Chief. Chief is here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, that's like, you know, calling me scrub instead of Hall of Famer. <laughs> but I'm so proud of what you've done because you've just, you know, the discipline and overcoming adversity and your job. When I go out, I don't worry about getting killed unless I have road rage. But <laughs> and it says on my license I can speed because I'm from New York, and it's a little very very small clause. Fine print. Yes, and you know you guys as you know law enforcement go out and you don't know who you, who your friends are and you know what people's motivations are and I, I think about that and I worry I worry about you. You know I was at summer league. Uh, I think she'll remember this, but we had just come from summer league. We had a game. I'm coaching now in the NBA. I'm, I'm screwing up your questions no, here. No, you're, you, you're fine. And I go to my room, and I turn on the, the TV in Vegas, and there's an active shooting going on in oh, yeah. Dallas. It's 2015, 16. 16. 16. Mm -hmm. And I, I pick up the phone, and I call Chief. <laughs> and and she, she's like, Nancy, I can't talk to you right now. Did you recall us? Uh, in, I don't know if you do, but you're like, I, I got we're in the middle of stuff 
And I was sitting there and I was like so overwhelmed that, you know, they were saying some officers were shot. And then my coach called me, Coach Carl, and he goes, well, we have a coach's meeting. I'm like, I'm going to need, I, I need a little time. There's something going on personally in Dallas. I mean, I, I called you because I was just trying to make sure you are okay or, or not in harm's way. And it was you who connected me to, to Chief Brown and who we've stayed friends. We talk all the time. Uh, when I, uh, we had a big three game last, last summer, Chief uh, Superintendent uh, Brown came to my hotel and there were like three SUVs and I walk out and people are like, are you getting arrested? I go, no, I'm not getting arrested. It's my friend. And, you know, people like the doorman and people like were, they didn't know what to do because superintendent was sitting and we went into the restaurant there and people were just like taking pictures of us. They're like, it didn't fit in people's narrative. I'm like, he's superintendent to you, but he's my superhero to me. He's my friend. He's my brother. My players, big three players, they couldn't believe it. But that's the beauty of life. And I want to say one more thing about uh, Ice Cube. You know, we honored him here a couple, three years ago at my Dream Ball Gala for my charity. And he said something which meant a lot to me. He's on the stage and he goes, you know, Nancy is my spirit animal. And I go, that's good, right? A spirit animal? <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. And he, uh, he's given his, his speech and he says, you know, we're more alike than people think. And he says, you know, I'm black. She's white. I'm a guy. She's a girl. I'm from the West Coast. She's from the East Coast. And, you know, sometimes in life... You have to go under things. You have to go over things. You have to go around things. And sometimes you just got to go through things. And we both in our world have gone through things. And we are, I, I mean, it was so beautiful that he said that. And every time I see him, I'm like, spirit animal, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I just have so much respect for him because of how he treats people and his open-mindedness and what he wants to do for the black community he wants to, to to make people better, and um, I'm really proud of him. You know, I really am. Sounds like he's very proud of you as well. Uh, he's been very kind to me. Um, the opportunities he's given us will change the world. You have a lot of hope and vision. Did you get some of that from Muhammad Ali? That's my man. Uh, he changed my life. Uh, I am who I am because of Muhammad Ali. Because at 10 years old, when you know I was in that hopeless and helpless phase, and I mean, I couldn't get in any more fistfights. I mean, if somebody made fun of me because uh, the holes in my shoes, or I didn't, you know, my my pencil pen holder, my bag was a brown paper sandwich bag. My book bag was a, a brown paper uh, garbage bag. And I would just put like a belt around it and people, and I hide it under my jacket or whatever. And people would make fun of me. And um, I apparently I didn't have conflict resolution at that point. <laughs> and they would just make fun of me. So I'd beat them up. And my mo- mom is like, Nitsy can't beat everybody up. I'm like, well, they make me feel bad. They make me feel bad about myself. And then when I saw Ali on TV once, I just, you know, he's like, I'm the greatest of all time. 
I beat Joe Frazier like I beat Sonny Liston, you know, like George Foreman like I beat Sonny Liston back in 1964. I'm too pretty not to be the champion of the world. (laughs) I am the greatest of all times. So I walk in the kitchen, and I stand by the the threshold of the door, and I go, I'm going to be the greatest (laughs) of all times. And my mother goes, why are you talking like that? (laughs) I said, I don't know, but I'm going to knock you out. And she says, Nancy, I am your mother. I'm going to knock you out in two rounds. And I'm going to knock him out in one. She goes, him's your brother. (laughs) And I said, you better get used to it. I'm going to be the greatest of all times. And I ran in my room and cried. Um, That was a real seminal moment for me because I'm 10. It gave, he didn't realize, Ali, that he gave me a path. He gave me a vision. And he gave me hope. So I... You know, going back to making the USA team, I couldn't have made the USA team without Ali. I couldn't have gotten a college scholarship without Ali, which is the greatest networking company in the world. College, you meet people who don't look like you, who have different thoughts and opinions. You get to open up your mind and your world to different possibilities. So then, you know, I we win our championship. So it's December of 1979, and we had just won a championship on Player of the Year in college basketball. I'm feeling good about myself finally, but I'm a fraud and I'm a fake because I'm still damaged. But I'm Nancy Lieberman, and everybody's you know kissing my behind because of who I am in, in the, the sports world. But you don't feel like that inside? No, I don't. I, I, I still feel like I'm the underdog. Okay. And... Uh, I get asked to do an appearance at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, It's a fundraiser for the Olympic Committee. So I get to go home, my mother, my best friend Barbara, we're going up the escalator and I look at the guy, the handler who was taking me up to uh, the room, the green room, and I said, so who's the other athlete? And the guy says, "Uh, we're going there right now. I said, well, who's the other athlete with me? And he says, it's Muhammad Ali. And I went, Muhammad Ali's here? And we get to the top of the escalator, and then they open the door, and it was like Oprah's, huh? Wow. You know, that hate. And there, there's a the man that changed my life, and he doesn't even know it. And my mother goes over to him. She's, you know, 250 pounds. She's 5'4", and she puts her arm around his neck, and she goes, Mr. Mohammed, my name's Rini, Rini Lieberman from Queens. <laughs> and my daughter, my daughter is the greatest of all times. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. And he goes, listen here, lady, there's only one greatest of all times, and it's me. And she goes, Mr. Mohammed, I know you're good, but my daughter. So I went as far as away in the room as I could. There was a boxer who was on my Olympic team, Howard Davis. He and Sugar Ray Leonard were my Olympic family. He won the gold medal. So he's from Queens, and Howard was in the room. And I went right to Howard. And Ali looks at him and goes, Howard, the kid's mother says she's good. And Howard goes, uh-huh, yeah. He goes, how good? He goes, she's greatest. <laughs> so he calls me over. And I, I can't even breathe. I have the pictures on my phone, and I... And I'm like, my head's down. He goes, your mom says you're good. And I'm, no, Mr. Muhammad, I'm not really. I'm the greatest of all times. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and he goes, there's two of us? I go, yeah. And, and Mr. Muhammad, 
I hit people too. He goes, I'm going to have to ask you to stop hitting people. I said, you hit people? He goes, I get paid to hit people. <laughs> and he, he sensed that I was broken. He saw something. And he says, um, why don't you come back to the Plaza Hotel with me when we're done with this? I'm like, yes, yes, we can. Right, Mom? And I was like, yes. So we go back to the hotel. We spent like three hours with him. He's talking to me about racism. He's talking to me about being a champion. He's talking to me about philanthropy. I'm like 19, 20 years old, and I'm like, my head is spinning. I'm sitting with Muhammad Ali. I'm in his suite. He gave me his phone number and his address. He asked for my phone number. There were no cell phones, no texting, no tweeting. It was good old-fashioned. We have to do work to stay connected. And, you know... I remember he looks at me and he goes, Nancy, God made you special. And I'm like, you know God too? You know everybody. That's fantastic. And at that point, he knew that he could not let me go. (laughs) I was a loose cannon. (laughs) And he stayed in touch with me. He called me in college. They're like, "Uh, Miss Lieberman, there's the champs on the phone for you. I'm like, he is? I'm like, hi, Mr. Ali. He goes, hi, Nancy. He goes, I saw the article. SI did a 13-page story on me in Sports Illustrated. He goes, thank you for talking about me in SI, and I'm going to try and come see you play. But they couldn't get enough security out in San Francisco. So we stay in touch. So this, he knew things about me before I knew it, like when I was going to play in a men's league, when I was going to coach in the WNBA or play in the WNBA. And I would always call him and say, you know, Muhammad, what do you think I should do here? Because I didn't have that father figure. Uh, He knew I was going to coach in the NBA before I knew. He was the second person I called. I was in the gym at Plano West working out my son, and Del Harris was with us when Vlade Divac called me. And he goes, Nancy, we'd like to hire you. And I was like, you're kidding. And then I called, and I said, Lonnie, Lonnie, where's Muhammad? And she goes, what's wrong, baby? I said, the Sacramento Kings just hired me to be their assistant coach. And she says, hang on. And she put me on speaker with him. And I said, Muhammad, I just got hired by the Sacramento Kings to, to be their assistant coach. And he really wasn't talking at that much at that point. And Lonnie goes, he's acting like he's shooting a ball. I said, Muhammad, you can't shoot. <laughs> you know that. And, you know, we had that relationship. Right. Like, I'd always go, you, you're just jealous because I came out of retirement more than you. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd always give me the, the lip, you know. Mm-hmm. And But I'd go to the house in Phoenix, and I'd sit and hold his hand. And, you know, he'd shake. I'd feed him his food. And I, I cannot believe that relationship with him and even at the funeral <laughs> look i i'm i make fun of people but i'll i also make fun of me i'm very self-deprecating so we're at his funeral in louisville and i'm next to billy crystal and all the other people that were there i'm sure some of you saw it on tv mm-hmm. and billy goes nancy um i want you to meet king i forget his name from i think morocco possibly and he goes, hi, I am a king. I said, I am a king too. <laughs> I said, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm a king. And he goes, 
How can you be a king? I'm a Sacramento king. <laughs> <laughs> You're Monaco king. And Billy's just like, uh. I can't believe I just made this introduction. He was laughing like, that was good, right? Like, bing, bing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have so much fun with all the things that I get to do. And the people I get to meet because of this thing called gender equity and equality and inclusion and the world is changing exponentially for us. And there, look, I, I'm clear who I am when I walk out, but I, I don't want to be bigger than the show. I still want people to come over and give me a high five and a hug, and I want to be human to people. I don't need an entourage. I could use a taser. <laughs> My son's 6'9". We can I, hook you up. I could on. use a taser. <laughs> Uh, but and and then to see my son, who you know Tina has seen him since he was baby boy, grow and their friendship and I think he owes her five bucks for some <laughs> side bet they had going. Nice. Cowboys, <laughs> cowboys. But the relationships I've made across the globe are unbelievable. You know my relationship with him, Ali, or you know Kobe, and you know I was supposed to go um, on that Wednesday after he died. Um, I was supposed to go put Gianna's team through practice in California. And I had told uh, TJ that Friday night, Kobe and I were texting the 24th. I was in the studio at Fox because I was doing TV. And he's such an advocate for women. He was powerful, Kobe. And guys were talking about women playing against men. Excuse me, men. And I went, let's ask Kobe. So I started texting him. You know, hey, do you want to talk about women playing against guys? He says, yes. I said, when? He said, now. I'm like, okay. For, we have an hour thread. I can't say what he said because there are too many curse words in there. Mm -hmm. But he says, when are you going to come out and coach Gianna's team? We've been talking about it for years. But, you know, life gets in the way. I said, I can do it next week. I have TV Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So he he goes, okay. I said, I'll, I'll hit you Monday, and we'll get it set. And he goes, okay. Saturday night, I'm doing an appearance somewhere in uh, California, Indian Wells. And it's about midnight, and Kobe calls me. And I'm like, hi. He goes, chop, chop, let's get this thing done. You, you'll, you'll fly into L.A. Wednesday. You'll Uber to the house. We'll grab some food. We'll take the helicopter to the Mamba Academy. You got as much time as you want with Gianna. Uh, if you want me to help you, I will. I was like, of course. I mean, I, yes, the answer is yes. So it's set. But I did not tell my son. He knew Friday night Kobe and I were texting. And he knows Kobe and I have been friends for years. I'm now in this uh, ballroom. There's 700 people. I always sit in the last row um, on the aisle because I have the attention span of a fly <laughs> and I some I can't sit through a lot. I need to get up and go to the restroom, walk around. I'm telling, this is the truth. I swear that I had turned my phone on vibrate because I didn't want to interrupt anybody with a phone going off. I'm sitting there and they're talking and all of a sudden I hear my phone ringing I grab my phone and my purse and I run out through the back doors and I look at it and I'm like, TJ, he had just landed in Italy because he had a game he was playing for uh, alone 
in Tel Aviv. And I'm like, TJ, he goes, mother, you know, you can tell your kid's voice. I go, son, what's wrong? He goes, mom. I go, TJ, I'm at an event. What? He goes, mother, you, you didn't hear the news. Kobe Bryant just died. I said, TJ, no, he didn't. I talked to him last night, late. He was mom, his helicopter crashed, and I thought you were on the helicopter. Mm. Okay, I, before I could breathe, I was hyperventilating, and I, all I remember hearing is this guy going, it's Miss Lieberman, and this uh, Secret Service cop, or gentleman, grabbed me before I hit the floor. And they took me in a room and they, they laid me down because I didn't know if I was going to go to the hospital. I couldn't breathe. Could not breathe. And then, you know, Bishop Omar Jawar. Remember Bishop with uh, Urban Specialist mm-hmm. who passed away from COVID? I kept saying, I need to see Bishop. I need to see Bishop. And they're like, he's on stage. I said, I need Bishop right now. They took him off the stage. And then you could see... Of the 700 people, phones were going off because the news had gotten out. I don't know if I would have made it without Bishop Omar Jawar. He sat there. He prayed for me. He prayed with me. He came, you know, these guys took me to my room. It was one of the most horrific days of my life. Um, You know, just because of the relationship Kobe and I had, because it was so close our conversations about me going out there and, you know, helping uh, Gigi and her team. And so I think about, you know, I think about that. I think about all the, like, again, incredible life's about relationships. And those relationships that came through sports, um, through the grace of God, and just the, the love that we have. And, you know, we, we do those dream courts. Yes. We're, Vanessa has entrusted me. We're building three. We're opening a dream court for uh, Gigi and Kobe May 1 on Gigi's birthday in Anaheim. This is the most beautiful court. We've never let anybody touch the court or design the court. It is so beautiful. She's designed everything on that court. And we were like, yes. And then we're doing two in Philadelphia where Kobe grew up. Tell our listeners what dream courts are. Dream courts are outdoor uh, safe places for people, kids to gather uh, their basketball courts. You know, you can skateboard on them. We could play tennis on them, other activities. A dream court, it was my dream to be on a court because I felt safe. And that's why we called them dream courts. And the first 30 or so courts we built were like New York Nick or Oklahoma City Blue and Orange. Uh, after, you know, Tina had introduced me to Chief Brown, and the first thing out of his mouth, member in that meeting, he goes, I-, I could use your dream courts. I need an initiative for kids and cops. So we pivoted. I didn't even tell my board. I would just say, yes. And nine, less than 90 days later, we, we opened the first two uh, dream courts and we changed the colors to police officer blue and gray, which is now we have 108 dream courts open around the country, over 4.2 million kids. And now we have program, we have education, not just the physical wellness. Um, we have dream courts uh, that have STEM 
financial literacy, a career readiness, civic engagement, and our kids and cops programs. And we give those programs to PAL, to uh, Park and Rec, to Boys and Girls Clubs, free. Everybody needs programming. And we love it because we're able to do that. And another thing I'm really proud of, um, the last three years, um, we have been given grants from the DOJ for the COPS Award. And we have gotten over $350,000 from the DOJ because of our work, you know, hand in hand with the police officers. And we've put almost 3,000 basketballs in the trunks of police cruisers. See a kid on a court, a girl, a boy, pop the truck, throw a ball out there, rebound for a few minutes, give the, the kiddo your card. You're right, drip, drip, pour, pour into each other, build that trust. Kid goes home, who gave you the ball? Well, Officer Tina, don't lie to me. Who gave You took somebody's right. ball. <laughs> no, she gave me her card, and she said, you know, if we ever need her, that we should call her. We're just trying to do, you know, we're just trying to do um, our fair share. And uh, it just, it makes me happy. It's bridging those relationships that for the next generation, for law enforcement in the community and first responders in the community. Thank you. Thank you it. so much for that. It, 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 makes, it makes me happy. Um, we want to show the good in people. We want to show the good in, you know, what our police force does on a daily, you know, for, for people, you know, behind the scenes. Some of, they just see you in the cars. I try to stay away from motorcycle cops because I know <laughs> I <do too. laughs> that they're not going to change their mind. <laughs> um, and, and I'd like to stay out of deferred judification. <laughs> That's very important to me in my life because <laughs> I do have the answers to the test. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, we don't care. Nah, we don't care. <laughs> How do you feel about this quote? The greatest religion of all is love. That's Muhammad Ali. That's what he taught me. That's what I lead with, loving kindness. It's, uh, it's the greatest thing you can do. It just, you know, I, I always tell, like when I speak to people, I'm like, smile. Let me see your teeth. Like <laughs> even in this room today, everybody smile. <laughs> My smile makes you smile. It doesn't cost anything. And it communicates kindness, right? And so it, there's so many ways. Like you see Luca coming down. And Luca throws a, a no-look pass uh, to Brunson. The first thing you see is you see Brunson point at Luca. That's the smile. That's the chest bump. That's the wink. That's saying, thank you for setting me up for success. And that's what we should be doing every day. We should be, you know, chest bumping and setting people up for success in everything that they do in life. Hey, I got one quick question. I hope this doesn't go too long. How close do you think the NBA is to hiring a uh, a head coach for uh, one of the teams? Uh, it just got a little murky because, you know, Becky left uh, or will be leaving, and she's now – and I'm so proud of her. Um, I love my sister. I'm a big Spurs fan, so that's – You know, she learned from the best, and um, – It'll, I think it'll take a little longer now because, you know, had I stayed in the NBA, um, you know, I was one year behind Becky, and I think, you know, it's a – you have to earn your stripes, uh, as you know now, Captain. Um, <laughs> it, everything has a process, <laughs> right? And 
it'll happen because Rick Carlisle is a big advocate for women. He's the head of the coaches association and he, you know, he's a, a hero of women. I mean, his wife, Donna, his daughter, Abby, you know, he has a lot of estrogen around him. So, <laughs> you know, he understands what that next step is. So, and you know, and the other thing that when, when the commissioner, the best commissioner in sports, Adam Silver says, we're going to have a woman sooner than later, it'll happen. But we have to earn it. Don't hire me just because I'm a chick. Hire me because I'm qualified to win. It's it's not Skittles. Everybody doesn't get one. And there's some really talented men in the NBA that have given their lives to coaching. I, I, I have to earn the right to be that coach, whether it's an assistant or player development or a head coach. And that's why I was so proud when we won the championship you know, in 2018 in the big three. Because no woman had ever won a championship in a men's league. And to be coach of the year and to have my players show me the respect and kindness that they did, all, really all players in the league, we, we have to go out and earn it every day. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I want to thank you for your charities. The Lieberman Charities have touched millions across the globe and you're going to continue to do it. You have your dream courts. You have the uh, Shop with a Cop program, which is incredible. And you continue daily, hourly, by the minute, to bridge the gap. And we just want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys, all of you. Thank you. you. Even Captain Schultz. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Mrs. A. Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you.
Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mr. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I'll never give up on you.